You're listening to audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Morning, King's Cross Church. Um, I haven't met you yet. My name is Aaron, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And I have the, it's such a joy to be here with you, and it's such a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. Um, we're continuing in our series in Philippians. Uh, last week, Chad preached from chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and, and we're just picking up right, right there in verse 12. Um, and what I want to share this morning is, um, is just how to, to prioritize the gospel and what that looks like in our life. Um, so, yeah, I forgot to mention this, but if you don't have a Bible, um, we've got some on the table in the back. You can get an app on your phone. I would love for you to be able to follow along and just... Because, you know, it's not, it's not my authority that matters, right? It's not anything that I say that matters. It, it matters what God says to us through his word. Um, and so we'll have some of the text on the screen, but um, I'd love for you to be able to follow along. <clears throat> so to understand the true gospel, that, that Jesus, who was God, came down, made himself man, took the form of a servant, as we see in chapter 2, made himself nothing, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for our sin, and was resurrected. Like If we understand the truth and that Jesus paid for our sin while we were dead in our sin, he made us alive in him. Um, if we understand that truth and we apply it to our lives, it, it changes everything. Um, this text is, it's got a lot of good stuff in it, and um, it has, you know, a word for, word for you, whatever situation you're in. So you might be um, you might be facing some suffering. You might be struggling. Maybe it's relational strife or, or sickness or, um, or whatever it looks like. I want you to, to be able to say with Paul, like, like Paul says, what has happened to me is advancing the gospel. Right? What, what has happened to me is actually advanced the gospel. To be able to rejoice, to say, what then? Only Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Um, you may be you know, kind of unsure of of where you are in, in life and what your future holds, or maybe you're a student and, um, and just you're kind of unsure of your, your purpose. Maybe you're a parent and you feel like you're, um, you know, you're telling, the ki- telling your kids the same thing again and again and you barely see any progress. Um, if that's you, maybe, maybe you're stuck in your career too. You're, you're not getting fulfilled in it like you thought you would or like you expected to. If that's you, I want you to be able to say, you know, for me to live as Christ. I want God to speak to you in, in this, this morning, in this text. Um, and then if you're, if you're striving in your life, in your own strength, trying to do great things for God maybe, trying to do great things in your own ambition, um, I want you to be able to prioritize the gospel and have that reframe your striving so that you're, you're, you're striving for God out of, out of the gospel, to live your life worthy of the gospel. Um, so those are... Those are big goals. You know, that's a prioritizing the gospel and having it change our entire life is a is a huge thing for us. Um, and so, you know, a big goal can't be done in our own strength. We need the Lord's help. So, I'm going to pray, and um, and then we'll dive into this text. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the way that you speak to us through your Word. I pray that you would um, speak to us this morning. Lord, help me to. Um, just to be a vessel that, that pours out your truth. Lord, even though I'm a, 
a broken jar of clay, Lord. I know that I have treasure in me because you're in me. I pray that that, that you would come out, Lord, and um, that you would speak to us, that you would be with us, you fill me with your spirit, and, um, and just help us to, to glorify you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so my, my big main idea here, I've hinted at it, is that um, if you make the gospel your priority, it allows you, it allows you to rejoice in any circumstance. It allows you to reorient your life around Christ, and it allows you to reframe your striving and your suffering. Uh, so jumping into this first section, verses 12 to 18a, um, we see that, that we can rejoice in any circumstance. We see Paul as an, Paul as an example here. Um, in verse 18, he says, What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Um, yeah, so, so Paul's facing some tough circumstances here. Um, he's in prison, and he is, um, you know, we'll, we'll see in verses 15 and 17 that there are those that are, you know, seeking to cause him trouble in his imprisonment. So he's facing his suffering, but in spite of that, he's able to rejoice. Um, and that's because he, he has shown that, you know, the gospel is his priority. You know, sometimes they'll, people will ask a question of, like, would you rather be a star player on a, champ, on a losing team or a bench player on a championship team, right? So a star player, you know, they, they get good stats, they get lots of playing time, but their team loses. The bench player on the championship team, you know, it's not, they don't get the good stats, they don't get as much playing time, but they get to win. So Paul shows us here that, you know, he would rather be a bench player on a championship team because he's, he's on the bench now, he's in, in prison, right? He's been going from town to town, planting churches, seeing God work, you know, in huge ways, and now he's stuck in prison. But he knows that that doesn't stop the gospel, right? Even though he's the messenger, he's in chains, the message is not bound, right? The message doesn't depend on him. Um, you know, he says that what has happened to me is advanced the gospel, verse 12. Um, he, wants, he says that to encourage the Philippians, right? He, he, he wants to encourage them that his partnership with them is still continuing, right? So chapter 1, earlier in verse, verse 5, and he's praying for them. He says, praying for you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Like his partnership is still continuing, that he's still, um, you know, he's still their partner. He's still, still doing the work. He's still having chances to advance the gospel. Um, and he also wants to encourage them because they, they're going to face the same kind of suffering that he does. He hints at that in, in chapter 1, verse 30. He says that you're engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So the Philippians are going to face these, these same kind of struggles, and so Paul wants to encourage them in that. So he serves as an example for them. Um, so the reason that he's rejoicing, we see here, is that the gospel is advancing. We see it advance in, in three ways. Directly through Paul, indirectly through those that are emboldened by Paul, and indirectly through those that are driven by envy and rivalry. So verse 13, um, the gospel advances directly through Paul. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. So the imperial guard here, that's, it's an elite unit of Roman soldiers, right? The imperial, they, they guard the emperor, emperor's ha household, and um, these kind of maximum security prisoners. Um, 
it's a Paul has a chance to to share with the Imperial Guard. A lot of commentators believe that, you know, 24/7 Paul was chained to a guard, like the guards would cycle through in shifts. And Paul took the, this opportunity. He had a captive audience to share the gospel with, right? Um, and so he would take this opportunity. You know, it's kind of a natural question there of what are you in for? And so Paul would would share that he's in because he's sharing about Christ. And he's in prison. He takes that natural opportunity, that natural point of conversation to share the reason for his imprisonment is because he's in Christ. And so, you know, minor application point for us is for us to take those same kind of natural opportunities to share the gospel. All right, so maybe you go into your workplace tomorrow and somebody asks how your weekend was. It's a natural opportunity for you to share that you're part of a church plant. Like I, I came early. I, I got to a community center at 8.30 in the morning to help set up. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you get up early on a Sunday to go, you know, set chairs up and move carts around? Like that, that's crazy, right? Because it's the gospel, right? And so if your faith is a big part of your life, then it's going to come up naturally in, in conversation. And so take those opportunities. So Paul directly advances the gospel. And we also see it advance indirectly through those that are emboldened by Paul. So verse 14, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. And then verse 16, these preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Some people here are driven by their love for Paul. They see that even though he's facing the suffering, even though he's in prison, he's still sharing the gospel. Right? That didn't stop him. And so they're emboldened. They're like, if Paul could do that, I can too, right? So I um, think of, you know, just the, the idea of, like, positive peer pressure. Right? I think of, like, my kids at, at a water slide or something. My kids are a little, little nervous about the slide, but maybe they see their friend um, who's about their age is, you know, bold and ready to go down, and they go down the water slide and they don't get hurt, right? And so then they're encouraged, they're emboldened. I can go down the water slide and not get hurt, right? And so that's kind of the idea here, that, that these people see Paul, I see him still sharing the gospel, and, and they're emboldened. So an application point for us in this is, is to be an example for others. As we have opportunities to share the gospel, let's do it in community, right? So maybe we have natural relationship connections or something. Maybe I have a coworker that is a soccer fan, and I'm not really a soccer fan, but I know Micah Scott is. He's not here today, but I know he is, and so maybe I invite my coworker and Micah over and we watch soccer together, natural point, and then maybe I share the gospel and embolden Micah, or Micah shares the gospel and emboldens me, and, and it's just kind of this snowball effect of we're, we're encouraging each other to, to share the gospel, we're encouraging each other to be more bold, to take more opportunities. I would love to see that here in this church. I'd love to see us have opportunities and, and to build connection and invite people into community, into, into gospel proclamation. So we see the, the gospel advance directly through Paul, indirectly through these brothers that, um, that have their boldness increased. We also see the gospel advance indirectly through false motives, right, through envy and rivalry. Verse 15 says, Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. You know, verse 17, it, it says that they're driven by selfish ambition. Um, the Bible says that envy and rivalry, they're evidence of a corrupt mind. Right, so... We kind of, we understand rivalry a little bit. We live in North Carolina. 
UNC Duke is big. I really I learned about rivalry when I went to Alabama to visit my wife's family. I thought we were going for Thanksgiving, but it turns out in Alabama, Thanksgiving is the second most important day that week. The most important day is Saturday when Alabama and Auburn play each other in college football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the Iron Bowl, you know, that's, they're watching the game, an Alabama fan, an Auburn fan, they watch the exact same play, and they come out with completely different perspectives. Right, so rivalry twists your mind. Right, so uh, the Bible says that. You know, that's true. Romans 1 says that, uh, 28, 29, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, so they do not do what is right. They're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels. That's the word for rivalry there. Envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. Galatians 5 says that, you know, includes envy and rivalry as, as works of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. So, envy and rivalry, they're false motives. You know, they're evidence of a corrupt mind. They're works of the flesh. But, but Paul's saying that these people preach the gospel. Still, he's not, he's not talking about them the same way that he talks about those that preach a false gospel. Right? He, he talks about those in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. So it's a different kind of warning, right? Um... And Paul is able to rejoice that even though these guys are driven by false motives, that doesn't sidetrack the mission. Right, so that, yeah, that should be comforting for us as, we're, um, as we have opportunities to, to share the truth. We know that we fall short. We know that um, you know, sometimes we're even driven by false motives. But God can still work through that. God can still advance the gospel even though we're broken vessels. Um, and we should also take comfort the other direction, right? If we heard the gospel from somebody who fell short, somebody who clearly had a moral failing, you hear stories all the time of, of pastors and church leaders that, you know, that they basically lose their status, right? They have a moral failing. They get run out of their church. Maybe it's an affair or abuse or, or something. Um, if you heard the gospel from somebody like that, like God can still save you through that gospel, right? If it's the true gospel, even from a false motive, even from a false prophet, really. If it's the true gospel, then you're truly saved. Right? You don't have faith in that guy. You have faith in God. Right? God is the one who, who saves you, who holds you fast. So, do our motives matter? Of, of course they do. Right? Envy and rivalry, they're just they're horrible. If we see sin in our lives, we should you know, do everything that we can to, to stamp it out, to live faithfully. But we can trust God that he still works to advance the gospel. So that's what Paul does. You know, he, um, he trusts God that you know, he's able to rejoice. Verse 18 again, What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So when he says, what does it matter here? It's not, it's not flippant. You know, it's not, who cares? Like, he's, he's really suffering. Like, he's really in prison. And these, 
these people that are preaching from false motives. They're really seeking to cause trouble to Paul. Um, but he's able to rejoice because he sees things from a divine perspective. Right? He's, he knows that he's a small piece of a big puzzle. And God's mission is still able to advance no matter what happens to Paul. I like this, this quote that um, talks about this. It's, it says that Paul has learned by the grace of God to see everything from the divine perspective. This is not wishful thinking, but deep conviction that God has worked out his own divine intentions through the death and resurrection of Christ, and that by his spirit he is carrying them out into the world through the church, and therefore through both Paul and others. And so Paul knows that it's not about him. He knows that, um, that his circumstances don't sidetrack the mission. Right? God's mission is so big, it's so, and we're privileged to be part of it. And so no matter what circumstances we're facing, we can rejoice that God uses us, that God is still working, even if it doesn't seem like he's using us. So if we prioritize the gospel, that helps us to be able to rejoice no matter what. And it also helps us to reorient our life around Christ. So move into um, the next section, verses 18b to, to verse 26. Um, we see that having this gospel priority helps us to have an eternal perspective. Paul says, I, I will rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul, he's been sharing about his imprisonment, and now he kind of switches a little bit towards the future. He's looking at his upcoming trial, um, and he knows that his salvation is secure. So he won't be ashamed about anything. Christ will be highly honored no matter what. Paul's quoting, um, quoting Job here, Job chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Job says, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. Yes, this will result in my deliverance, for no godless person can appear before him. So Paul knows that his faith is secure. He knows that his salvation is secure. His hope, his future is secure. So Christ will be magnified, whether by life or by death. Right, so Paul has this eternal perspective that his life is just a, a moment, but his eternity is, is forever, and Christ is going to be magnified, going to be glorified. And so if we have that same kind of perspective, if we understand that you know, our life is is for Christ, that God has saved us for his mission. We're able to rejoice. We're able to reorient our life around Christ. We're able to magnify him. I think of the, the hymn you know, that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Right? Because Jesus lives, we can, we can do anything. Right? Well, he'll be glorified no matter what because he lives. Like he was killed on the cross, but he's not dead anymore. He lives. Our hope is secure. Our future is secure. So this perspective, this eternal perspective, it changes the way that we see life. changes the way that we see death. All right, so verse 21, this is a famous verse, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So it changes the way we see life. Life means fruitful labor. Right, Paul says that. So more life means more work for the sake of the gospel. Um, Christ, God has been working in us. All right, so chapter 1, verse 6 
you know, says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's carrying it on. Like our work is, the longer that we live, the longer that we have time for Christ to work in us, the more that we become like him. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, It is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure, or good purpose. So God is working in us, right? So, so our perspective on, on life changes because it's fruitful labor for us to be able to work for, for God and it's also more time for God to work through us. And that includes in our suffering. Right? So the, the Bible you know, speaks comfort to us when we face suffering. Romans 5, 3 to 5, it says, not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character Proving character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So our afflictions lead to our character, which leads to hope. Right? So the, the more life that we have, even if it's in afflictions, even if it's suffering, we're able to, our character is able to grow. We're able to grow in our hope, too. 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we rejoice that we suffer grief in various trials because, you know, it, because it results in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the, the suffering that we face, the trials that we face, you know, they refine us like gold in, in a fire. Right? We're refined, and it brings more praise and glory and honor to Jesus. And that's a different perspective, right? So we don't, we don't come to this perspective of, of life as, you know, as, as wonderful, even in the midst of suffering. We don't come to that perspective ourselves, right? That's a gospel perspective. So having that eternal perspective, prioritizing the gospel, that changes the way that we see life and it changes the way that we see death. So if we have that positive view of, of life, even in the midst of suffering, then we don't see death as, as good because it's an escape from life. Right? We see good. You know, death is gain. Paul says it's far better for him. Death is gain, but that's because we get to be with Christ. It's not because we're escaping life. It's because we get to be with Christ. So Paul greatly desires death. You know, he says it's far better. He says it's gain. The draw of death for Paul is that he gets to be with Christ. You know, if, he, if he's killed for his imprisonment on, for the sake of Christ, he shares in his sufferings with him. He becomes like him. He glorifies him. So our takeaway from this, because Paul desires death so greatly, because he, you know, he sees it as gain, he sees it as far better, he, you know, he wants to be with Christ, but his conclusion that he's going to continue in his life. And so, you know, our, our takeaway there is that Paul's living for others. He's living for the Philippians, as he says here. Um, verses 25, 26, you know, he says, I'm, I'm persuaded of this. I know I'll remain and continue with you all, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Um, so progress and joy here, they're, they're key themes in, in the book of Philippians. Progress, here in verse 25, is the same word that's translated as advance back in verse 12. Um, 
And so this advance, this progress, it happens both externally, as, as those who don't know Christ hear Christ and come to know him. So the gospel advances externally and also advances internally, right? For our progress in the faith. So God makes progress in us as we make progress in the faith. Um, there's several verses here in Philippians that, that kind of show us what this progress looks like. Verse 9 in chapter 1, Paul's praying for the Philippians. He says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior, you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So our love grows, our knowledge, our discernment. You know, we, we approve the things that are superior. So we become more pure, more blameless. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility considers others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So as we progress in our faith, you know, our selfish ambition, our conceit shrinks, right? Our humility grows. The way that we consider others grows. We're able to look, you know, less to our own interests, more to the interests of others as the gospel progresses in our hearts. Chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that, you may be, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. All right, so, so we, we do less, less grumbling, less arguing as we grow in the faith. Right? We become more blameless, more pure. Right? The word sanctify, sanctification, like that literally means to make more pure. And so as we, as we grow in our faith, as, as our sanctification continues, we become more pure, more blameless. We hold firm to the word of life. And this verse here, progress and joy, they're connected grammatically. Like so it's kind of like for your progress in the faith and for your joy in the faith. They're both connected back and they're both connected forward. And we see that in our own lives, right? Progress and joy are connected. Right? The more progress that we make, the more that we know Christ, the more that we the more that we become like Christ, the more joy that we have in Christ. And so Paul greatly desires this for the Philippians. He wants them um, he wants them to boast in Christ because of him. Verse 26, because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. The way that um, the language literally is, it, it says, it's kind of like the phrasing is, boast in Christ Jesus in me. And so, I mean, don't, don't we want that too? We want people to look at us, to look at our life, and boast in Christ. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We want that, right? We want to live good lives. We want our, our progress in the faith to be seen so that others look at our lives to see the way that Christ has worked, and they boast in Christ because of it. Right? We don't want people to boast in us. We want people to boast that, you know, we do amazing things. Right? We want people to look at us and see God at work. Right? Glorify our Father in heaven because they see our good works. So that's what Paul wants. He wants them to look at the Philippians to look at him to see how he has endured his suffering, you know, how his, his life is oriented around Christ. And he wants them to boast in Christ because of that. 
Uh, there's a Leslie Newbegin quote that, that I think is, is really helpful here. It says, mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the re rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. Right, so we want people to, to boast in Christ in us. You know, it's strong language here, right? I want um, that your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound, right? It's like overflowing, overflowing joy in Christ. We want, we want our, our joy in Christ to overflow, to abound, and that drives us to mission. So if we prioritize the gospel, if we understand who God really is, it changes our life, changes our perspectives, and it helps us reframe our striving and our suffering. So going to the next section, verses 27 to 30. So Paul is um, transitioning a little bit in the book of Philippians. He's transitions to a section that's kind of, kind of ethics, you know, how, how you should live. And as he starts this section that goes all the way through chapter 2, verse 18, as he starts this section, you know, he sets it on the foundation of the gospel. He says, just one thing, live your life worthy of the gospel. And so if we, if we understand that, you know, our, our, our doing comes after being saved, right? The, the big words here are the indicative comes before the imperative, right? So the what is indicative, indicate. The what is comes before the what we should do, before the command, the imperative. So if we understand that we have been saved, that changes the way that we live. It's like that throughout the Bible, like all the way back in Exodus in the, in the Ten Commandments. Jesus, I mean, God said, um, I'm the Lord, I brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, have no other gods before me. Right? So it's always because we have been saved that we live. Right? We're not living in our own strength, trying to earn God's favor. We're not trying to be good enough so that God will accept us. And so if we have that perspective, that it's not about us, that it's not about our own strength and what we do, then we're, and it changes our, our perspective. We're living out of God's strength. Think of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. Then you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, so we get weary and burdened if we're trying to live in our own strength, trying to earn God's favor. That's exhausting, right? But if we live out of Jesus' strength, if we take his yoke on us, we'll find rest for our souls. And then we're able to live worthy of the gospel. So worthy of the gospel, um, Paul says, you know, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. This is from God. So to live our lives worthy of the gospel looks like these three kind of action verbs, right? Stand firm, contend together, not be frightened. So as we stand firm in one spirit, the, these are these are kind of like military athletic terms, right? So stand firm is kind of like the idea of, of soldiers on a battlefield, right? They're not giving up an inch of ground to the enemy. They're standing firm. And to do that worthy of the gospel, you know, means that we're not standing firm in our own strength. And it's not up to us to protect God, 
right? We're not standing firm to protect the gospel. We're standing firm because of who we stand in, right? We look bad. Worthy of the gospel means we stand firm out of God's strength. We stand firm in one spirit. Because we're saved by the Holy Spirit. Together, we're able to stand firm together, like soldiers together, right? Contend together in one accord for the faith of the gospel. One accord here, it's like literally one soul, right? So we're united. It's that phrase, contend together, it's one word in the, in the original language. Literally means wrestle side by side. Like the idea of, here of battlefield athletic term of like fighting side by side, wrestling side by side. So we're able to do that worthy of the gospel in one soul. Right, we're called on one mission together. We're not doing it in our own strength. We're not trying to, um, yeah, we're not trying to bring glory to us, right? We're living for God's mission together. The word contend here in English, it, it you know, the idea, it, well, it makes me think of um, like sports teams. I'm a sports fan. Um, the way that, you know, a team that's a contender that has a chance for the, um, for the championship, for the playoffs, they act different, right? So a passive team that's that's tanking, they they have no chance, right? They're going to give their young players more time to gain experience and stuff. But a contender, they're not. They're playing their best players all the time. But they act different. So we're on a contending team. We're contending together, and so we need to be making sacrifices. We need to be working hard, striving together, contending together, and doing it in such a way that it's not in our strength doing it in such a way that we're worthy of the gospel, knowing that it's in Jesus' strength that we're living. The next section, don't be frightened in any way by your opponents. So this, this term, being frightened, it's used of, of horses in a battle. Right? They're freaking out because, because of the you know, crazy noise of going on in battle and swords clanking and all that kind of stuff. But that's not us. We're not frightened like that. Because, because we have this gospel priority. Right? We know that God has saved us. We know that we were dead in our sin. Our destiny was you know, eternity in hell. But our destiny was that. And God saved us. And so we don't have to be frightened by our opponents. And we don't have to be frightened by anything. Because we know that Jesus saved us. Our biggest problem has been solved. Right? So we don't have to be frightened by our opponents. That's a sign of our salvation. Right? We have a different perspective. We live differently. We think differently because we've been saved. It's a sign of our salvation, but their destruction. These last couple of verses. It's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him since you're engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So we see here that salvation, you know, it's, it's a package deal. Right, so we get, it has been granted to us, it's a gift. We get to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So it means believing and suffering, but we know that we're in this together. You know, Paul encourages the Philippians here, he says, you're engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Right, so, you know, Paul was with them in Philippi. Like he, he came, you know, we, we read through the section in Acts last week of you know, Lydia and the jailer coming to, to know Christ. Paul went to prison then. Like he, 
met the jailer because he was in prison. So they saw his suffering then, and now they're engaged in the same kind of struggle. And so Paul wants to encourage them there that, you know, even, even though it means suffering, like, our perspective is different. Like, suffering, we're able to rejoice in it. Like, our, our mission, our suffering, we're able to, to change it. Our, our perspective is completely different because of, because of what we know, that, that God saved us. So prioritizing the gospel helps us set our framework for our whole life. Right, we're able to see our cir- circumstances from a divine perspective. We're able to rejoice in any circumstance. We're willing to set aside our own interests to be able to say, for me to live is Christ. We're able to live out of Christ's strength, to live worthy of the gospel because we're not trying to do it in our own strength. And all of that is because of Jesus. All right, so as Paul is moving into this new section, verse 27, all the way through chapter 2, verse 18, the section on ethics, right in the middle of it, is this beautiful passage that exalts Christ. And I want us to, you know, as we come to a close, I want us to, to end our time by focusing on Christ, to remember that, you know, it's not about us, it's not about our strength, our glory, our desires, our circumstances, it's about Jesus. So I'm going to read um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, as we close and, and just, yeah, just let's all just focus on, on Jesus, focus on Christ. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come, in, he had come as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this beautiful picture of of his humility. Lord, he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He was obedient all the way to the point of death, and therefore he is highly exalted. I pray that you would help us to follow in his example, or to humble ourselves, to remember that you have saved us, to remember the truth of the gospel that's available for us, Lord. We repent of our sin. We turn away from our sin and turn to you. And we can be saved. Lord, and we can have our perspectives changed. Or we can reframe our lives so that we're not striving and suffering in our own strength. Lord, but we're doing it for you. We're living on mission for you, contending together for you, for your glory. Pray that King's Cross Church glorifies you. Pray that we contend together in unity. We thank you for this opportunity to be a church. And we pray that you would work through us, speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.